In Psalm 8, as the psalmist uh, says and sings, he says how, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And um, and he begins to, in that particular psalm, the psalmist begins to declare that all of creation, the glory of God is seen in his creation. And he mentions human beings at the end of that, and he says, "What what is man that you are mindful of him, God? And what is the son of man? And the psalmist would say that the glory of God was manifested through all the creation that God had made, including man. And some theologians say this, that the knowledge of man helps us understand the knowledge of God. And the knowledge of God helps us understand the knowledge of who man is. That there's a reciprocal effect and understanding. As we see men, men bear the image of God, and therefore we learn something about God by seeing men. At the same time, if you want to learn about uh, God, you'll learn more about human beings and what they are in that. And that is um, sort of what our series is this fall. As in, we get later into, um, as we get into February, the whole study of Connect Groups will be around the attributes of God. And leading into this, we're looking at the manhood, or what is a man, what is a human being. And it is sort of like which one could you have done first? Well, we could have done God to learn more about uh, God and then move into human beings, or we're doing human beings, and it seems appropriate. But you see that there's a reciprocal connection because human beings are the crown of God's creation and uniquely given its image bearer. So, what does it mean to be human? That's our series. Um, I'm only human is what we're titling it. And what does it mean to answer that particular question? Uh, some say it's the most debated topic of our day. Um, as if it's a new debate, that we really are, is it under attack? What is a human being? And we probably, many of us, maybe like me, are like, do I really worry about that? Does that really affect my life? Is that such a simple question that it doesn't affect me? But really, it does. It affects everything you do. To understand what it means to be a human, every day you are making decisions in light of what it means to be a human being. Your understanding of it and what it is, and how you relate to other human beings, what you do in your work, how you function, everything that you do is uh, reflecting what you believe and understand to be about human beings and God and beyond. In this day, to the sin, what uh, most people are trying to figure out humans without reference to God. And so what we're doing is that we're trying to prove, define what is a human being, revisiting that most fundamental question, and do that in reference to God. And it's not new uh, that um, in, in the debate that people struggle throughout history understanding what humans are in the garden just right before what will happen right after this passage we we read how did satan attack adam and eve he didn't just bludgeon them and kill them he confused them about who god was and who they were he made them think that did god really say and he's withholding from you there's something he doesn't want you to know. Maybe you're achieving blind. Maybe you're not as valuable to God as you think you are. And then she wanted to be more than human. To be, he attempted her to be like God, to be a God in a sense. So from the beginning, this has been a struggle. It may feel new to you. And some of the places we see happening in our culture today, but the confusion and the struggle to be clear on who God is and what a human being is, has always been. And it has a profound um, impact on how we live. Let me say it this way. One theologian says it this way. He says, how do human beings understand their own existence determines how they think, how they behave, and the type of culture they produce. Say that again. How human beings understand their existence 
determines how they think, how they behave, and the type of culture people produce. To say it another way, shame words, our culture today that we live in is a product of what we think the meaning of being human is. So I hope that you'll begin to see as we begin this series, or in this series, that you'll see things to be true. Here's the way we're sort of looking at it. I didn't introduce it this last week, but this will be the flow from here forward, I think naturally, of that. And we will, this is what some call the redemptive story of the Bible, as we go back in, uh, in, the, in the major categories of what's happening in the storyline of the Bible. Uh, you'll see the first story, that's creation, which is Genesis 1, and um, uh, 1 and 2, where the creation of the, the world and man, and then we have the fall, where sin enters the world. And uh, that's in chapter 2. Uh, then we have the story of redemption begins, but really redemption, Christ comes, and that's the next phase in the Bible. And lastly, uh, one day will be restored fully, where the earth, based on sin, will be taken away and be restored fully as it should be, and God will restore. So you see that process there. There's other ways people have. There's six categories they put them in. I'm just giving you four. Uh, it doesn't matter to you, but I want you to see what we're doing is if we're going to understand and answer the question, what does it mean to be a human being, then we're going to go back and look at the heaven on the creation. And we'll talk about how it's fallen uh, a little bit as well, and then uh, and how it's being redeemed. But we're going back to the very beginning. If our sin and the fallenness of this world skews oftentimes our understanding of what it means to be truly human. So therefore, we should go back to the beginning and see how God uh, intended it. And so last week, we looked at the idea of being created bearer, and this week we're going to look at the idea of duality. The human being has a duality to it. Alright? Let me pray. Father, um, would you help us to be reoriented to the clarity of who you are and who we are. And we confess that we are prone to gravitate away and wander away from that reality. Sometimes, Father, many of us here think way too lowly ourselves and think that we have no value to you as human beings. And sometimes we think way too highly of ourselves, that we think we are the answer to every solution, that we know all and can know all and want to be all to everyone, and everything in between. But I am asking you, would you help us? Would you give us insight from your word? Would you give us a theological framework from you as our reference point of what we are and how we're made, what it means to be would you help us in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, so I do need to do a little review from last week to tell you the two topics we looked at on the middle. And uh, on the human sort of part one last week, we made two points. Uh, from verses 26 and 27 in our passage, where you see verse 27, so God created man in his own image and the image of God, and he created him, male and female, he created him. We'll be doing more things in the future. Uh, covering more topics, what it means to be human. But what we looked at last week was the idea of being created. And here's what we established last week. The most fundamentally true of you and I is that we were created by something else, God. That we didn't create ourselves. And I think everyone would agree with that. Atheistic or agnostic or believer, you, if you pause and think about it, I didn't make myself. How did I get here? That's on your power. So we were created. And here, this is the main implication we created from last week, is that we, well, why we went back to this is we went back to this to say that our, our, um, our value is, <laughs> is uh, extrinsic. Who we are, we have to go back to creation and, and talk to the person 
who designed us and see what he designed us for. You go back and see the thing that is made, if you want to understand what it was made for, talk to the person who made it. So that's what we were doing last week and admitting that we were created. And if you don't, you'll wind up at like the clampets here on my picture I have. Anybody remember the clampets, the Beverly Hillbillies? There was some, it was an old, uh, an old um, series thing where some hillbillies struck it rich with oil and they moved to Beverly Hills and bought a mansion. And they moved into the mansion uh, as hillbillies and they have, and this new mansion they have, it has a billiard room with a pool table on it. And they called it the fancy room, the fancy eating room. They had no idea what the pool table was for. So, you see what they did? They sat down, see the pockets there? They used the pool sticks to pass the food. They're like, ah, let's help pass the food across the fancy eating table. So, if you don't go back and talk to the person who designed the pool table, then you'll misunderstand what it was, its proper use. I didn't get a single smile. Do you see? Do you remember that? I thought that was fun. Anyway, okay. Um, <laughs> but, the most fundamental question people are asking our bookshelves are filled with, who am I? What am I? And the first thing I want you to know is that you were created. Right? That has tons of implications to it. Um, and we'll be looking at those more. But we were created. We didn't make yourself. And so we go back to the creator to see what we were designed for and how we made it. Secondly, we realized that we were last week that we were image bearers. And that this was a title, and God said in verse 27, let us make man in our image. The triune God made human beings in the image. And this was language. You'll see the language of Genesis 1, 27, 3. This is kingly language. And in the cultures of the day, ancient cultures, only the kings had connection to the gods. So for the Christian worldview to say that each of human beings is connected to the true God, People were like, what? If you were, if you were, a, first, if you were a first century Jew reading the Pentateuch or even anyone hearing that, you would, when you heard the Pentateuch and its creation, when it was written some 5,000 years, I think, after the creation story, it was, it would have been wild to you. It's like, so the kings aren't the image bearers of God? Like, human beings are, women are, they were being, they were property. It was assigning great value. Human beings. And we saw in, in the passage we're reading that when, when God got to the end of making the sixth day of making his creation, he made human beings. They were the crown of the crescendo of creation. And he says it was very good. And so we, um, we're reflectors of God. We're not God, but we reflect him. We're an image of him. And we talked last week about the prominence of that position, that no other thing in creation is his image bearer. We are. The rest of creation is not. The promise of that, the position of that, we'll look more into that, is over the animals, but below God, there's a clear position in that and, um, and the presence of God. That we as image bearers, wherever we go, in a sense, reflect and bring the presence of God. All image bearers do that. I'm not just talking about the church. If you're a human being, you reflect the image. So our worth is found extrinsically outside of us. Not inside. The world is telling you that you find your worth in who you are from within. The Bible says that our worth has been assigned to us by God and how He designed it, and that's where our worth is found. So uh, that's what we established. So now we'll look at the duality of the creation story. We're going to zoom in. If we were looking at verses 27, so God created man in an image, an image of God, He created man, male and female. Genesis 1 is a, is a broad look at the creation story. But Genesis 2, when you get to chapters 2, it zooms in to the sixth day and shows the nuts and bolts and the specifics of how God created human beings. 
Prior to this, God has spoken everything into existence. But now, in Genesis 1, 26, he says, let us make man in our image, and he makes him. So he pauses and doesn't speak them into existence. He, he moves in a different way to make human beings, and we'll see that. Let's read verses 2, Genesis 2, the sixth day of creation as we move in uh, and see what God teaches us. When no bush of the field was yet on the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And the mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. So the earth is being created, but it needs to be subdued. It needs someone to rule over it. And there's no man to make it. So then in verse 7, here God moves into making man. Here's how he did it. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in the Eden in the east. And there he put him, uh, the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for the food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So what we're zooming in on this morning specifically is verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And he became a living creature. That word formed there in the Hebrew and is it later in the Greek in some of the translations the word is the same word that's used in a potter sort of fashioning clay so God has been speaking we learned in Genesis 1 things to existence but when he wants us to know about human beings and notice that God is intimately involved he's getting his hands dirty literally he's making it that tells you the importance that this is an image bearer there's something different about that and then he makes him from the dirt from the dust, from the physical things that he's already made. He makes it from the dirt. So let me just pause right there in parentheses. He makes the woman later in this chapter from the rib of man. So girls, men were made from dirt. You were made from flesh. You're being folded over men. <laughs> there we were. And I do think there's some symbolism of that reason for that. The woman becomes the crown of creation in Genesis 2. But uh, as, he, as he sees her, he sings a song to her at the end of Genesis 2. She's made. But both are from the dirt. Both male and female, mankind, originate from the dirt. And the man is made from the dirt. So notice that. There's the physical side. But then see the spiritual side that comes. Notice that he breathes his nostril, breathes into his nostrils. Now, his face, close. God begins his relationship with him close. And breathes life in Now, this is the same language that tells us in 2 Timothy that, that Nick read about that all scripture is God breathed, that it came from his heart breathed. So, life to the human being is different. It wasn't spoken, it's close. And here, man is different because God breathes into it. So, what we have here is you have a physical side to man, but literally, he's physical. He's made from, from dust. But then you also have a spiritual side, a soul. Something that is unseen, maybe God has breathed into us. So the historical view, and I want to tell you this right now, is that man, and has been debated, really not debated, where we would land most in the church, even back to Roman Catholicism, the Protestant, the view in the history of the church is this, is a, what they call a dichotomy, or that man is made up of body and soul. Sometime in history, there's been some views of body, soul, and spirit. Have you ever heard that? 
My personal opinion, that has some Asian influx into it. And it's rooted in some bad thoughts because it's like they needed to be a mediator in the body and soul when you have a spirit. There's some weird things about it. The historical view, and I believe the biblical view, because what you see here is two aspects of who man is. He has a physical nature to it, and he has an unseen nature, a spiritual nature to his soul. So when the Bible, and throughout the Bible, uses spirit and soul and your bowels and all kinds of things to talk about, the soul would be... The aspect of man would be his personality, his mind, his thinking, his emotions. All of the unseen would be the soul. The whole work of man. So to be human, this is, a dual, this is what I mean by the duality. What it means to be human is that you are physical, your body, and you have an unseen part to you, you are a soul. give you a couple passages here. Ecclesiastes, you may remember this, uh, Ecclesiastes 12, 7, we did the Ecclesiastes series uh, last year. The dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So you see, that seems to be commentating that there's a spirit and there's a, there's a, there's a body. There's two aspects to the human being. Jesus says in Matthew 10, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of him who can destroy both soul and body and hell. You see that? The human being is both. The same. That's it. So it's a harmonious sort of relationship that we have between the soul and the body. Um, and so oftentimes um, it's very important to people that we're distinguishing between the body and soul, but distinguish does not mean separate. There's a difference, but they're not separate. And you must have both to be a human. A human is not only soul or only physical. A human is both. That's what it means. And so um, look to your left and to your right. You look at the people you're with and think about yourself. Or what makes you you? Is it only the physical or is it only the spiritual and the unseen? Is it only your personality and, your, and, and the things that keep you alive? What is it? Historical Christianity said, so, well, last week we learned that 
that God is a spirit and he's not, we don't, when we're his image bearers, we don't, he's not a human being looking like us. Now, Jesus does have, still have a bodily form, there's a prince he's before the throne, he still has that, I can't get into that. But in general, the view, the understanding of scripture is that God is a spirit. But don't think force, think person. When you think spirit, we usually think force. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a spirit, he's a person. And so we're made in his image. You're like, well, wait a minute. So then we're only, and there are many heresies that come up in history and thought that, well, that's all we are. God's only a spirit, then we're just spirit, and our bodies don't matter. Because God is spirit, that Jesus came, he bore a body. And notice what we have to conclude about what it means to be human here is that God didn't just make us spirits. He made us bodies physically from the dust that, in, that hold the spirit that are part of one of it. It is the essence of of who we are. And so God fashioned us in that way. And so, um, and so we have to conclude that our bodies, our physical bodies, are also what it means to be human. God didn't make a disembodied soul. He made an embodied soul. And the Bible is consistent with that. The Bible shows great care of the body. Jesus, when he was on earth, he was worried about the physical needs all of those bears. They were hungry. They were thirsty. Give them water. Their bodies were broken in leprosy and leprosy. He healed it. He has a great fight with that. How much of the law of God is about physical? Thou shalt not murder. Don't hurt a physical person. Thou shalt not steal physical things from people. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You shall not do something inappropriate with another human being. Do you see that the law is not just spiritual in its nature? Now Jesus comes on the scene. And some people thought that only sin was, the Pharisees thought that only sin was physical. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, hey, you say if you if you, uh, if you shoot a person or kill a person, they have guns in. If you kill a person, then you've committed murder. He says, I say you're angry in your heart. So he's showing that inward, the spirit matters, is the same as the physical. So people need to gravitate towards one or the other. There's too high view of the physical, and too low view of the spiritual, or there's too of the soul, or there's too high view of the soul, the spirit, and too low view of the physical. Both are the same. I hope that you can see that. And, um, and so what it means to be a human being means to be Body and soul, and what it means to be uh, in relation to God, that God cares about our physical obedience and our soul. How we think, breathe, be, he cares about both. So you can't have a body, uh, you ever separate the two, you separate the body from the soul, it's a dead person. And what happens if you actually divide and someone dies, and the soul goes somewhere? What, what actually we know, the teaching of heaven, is that actually in heaven, immediately our souls leave our body when you die, and you're given a new body in the new heavens and the new earth. And there's an in-between body that we really can't explain from the scriptures. But we know that Jesus came back in one, and they could touch it. We know that the transfiguration with Elijah and Abraham, that they had bodies that were recognizable to the apostles when they saw Jesus, or when they saw them in the transfiguration with Jesus. That we will be recognized and some of way, and what the new heavens and the new earth means that we will get new bodies. God is not just saving your soul, He is saving your body. You will get a new body in heaven. Because what it means to be human means to be physical, have a body, and to have a soul. Now, um, 
happens when the physical, the body, is completely devalued. And only the high point of the soul. Numerous things happen. There was a heresy that's called Gnosticism that's prevalent in the church that John's actually helping with. And it had, it had a different ties of super spirituality. But here's what a Gnostic, part of what a Gnostic believed. A Gnostic believed that only the soul matters. Man is a spirit and soul, and his body was evil and dirty. And so it didn't matter what you did with the body. Well, think what that meant, how you can live. It meant that you could actually go into the temple and worship, but it didn't matter what you did with your body. That's why they had orgies in many of the temples around Rome and different places. Gnosticism said, only take care of your soul. Your body doesn't matter. It's evil. It's tainted. You can just do whatever you want. We even see it in the church that we are physical beings and sexuality is a part of it. Sex, we are sexual beings designed to birth. The first act of human beings is sex in the Bible, Adam and Eve, when God made her. That's what they have. And yet you see our devaluing of the food. If you grew up somewhere, like I did in the deep south, where church is like, you didn't talk about sex because that was dirty. That was bad. We didn't view it as created by God. It's physical. But then you can also flip it the other way and overvalue the physical at the expense of of that and and um, what happens when the spiritual suffers to compete? Well, if we are only physical, then we destroy innocent lives because they're just flesh. There's no soul to it. When God fashions, that's what binds us. So here's the implications for us as we come to the table today together. If what it means to be human is to be the duality of soul and body, then I think for knowing us well enough, this is cool. Physical matters to God. So the chief end of man is not to have a quiet time and evangelize other souls. My guess is, in many of your church backgrounds, you've been made to feel that way, that the most important thing you can do is worship, pray, and have a quiet time, read the Bible, and evangelize other people for your sin. But God made us in a created place. And without devaluing those things, this doctrine, this reality of who we are, begins to heighten the physical realm. It matters to God having and subdue the physical world. It matters to what we cultivate. It's not one or the other. It matters to God how you spend time with other human beings, how you're family. Let me just say, when Brittany's mom used to always joke, I'm telling on her year, and she would yell to Brittany, hey, Brittany, clean your room. She's like, I'm having a quiet time. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm a fashion. That wasn't on the script. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as funny as that is, we live that way. We, we, which was more important in that moment? To honor a physical person, her parent, in the Decalogue, in the Ten Commandments, or to spend time with God? God had commanded her to do both. He says, draw her to me and to honor your parents. 
I offer that to you to see that we have to be both. And I hope that we are not a church that makes you feel like that only the spiritual part of you matters. I hope we're a church that makes you feel like that all of life matters. The physical realm, yes. And it's a both and all the time. As a matter of fact, only one of the 10 to 12 tribes were, were clergy. And yet we make people feel like the church that their job is to be clergy, to be super spiritual. When it's just as spiritual to God how you govern the physical world, your body and the things that you're given to simply do. I hope you breathe that in. I hope that you begin, because that's what it means to be a human being. The image bearer, I can't get into all that. So work matters, physically taking care of your family matters. And Jesus took care of our physical needs. We can therefore too. And so this is the church. And so, you know, it, it's not the conservatives historically in this country have moved towards about getting souls saved and all about salvation. And the liberal the theologians have moved towards about the social gospel, meeting the needs of the people. What we would say, biblically, we want to say to everyone, and it's both. Conservatives don't have rights to the soul, and liberals don't have rights to the needs of people. It's the Bible. It's human beings. It's both. As a matter of fact, why we have done grace for the city is that we have theologically conservative. We need to see that our city needs us to leverage all of our physical things, our buildings, our people, our money, and our resources to fix the physical needs of the city. Why? Because they are physical and matter to God. To be a human being is to be physical and to have a soul. We're not just one or the other. We're both. And so God moves us to that. So your body is also the place in the temple of the Spirit where God lets it dwell. So we're fallen, and I hope you understand that. So that's what we're created for. We're fallen. It doesn't take me long for you to understand that we're fallen physically and we're fallen. our souls are fallen. They're, they're, they're dead in a sense. If you are not a follower of Christ, it says your soul has no heartbeat. You're dead in Christ spiritually. You need to be made alive for Him. You need Him to breathe life into you. But as a human being, <coughs> we are soul and body. And our fallenness is this. Of course our physical is fallen. I have to have a new knee. We have to have surgeries. We have cancer. We have pain. Our bodies are aging. We, uh, we, we go to work and it hurts. There's thorns and thistles. Nothing goes as it should. I just tried to put a stinking windshield wiper on. I couldn't get that physical thing to do it. It took way too long. It frustrated me. The physical earth doesn't go as it should. And our bodies are wasting away. We live in that all the time. The Bible calls that thorns and thistles in the creation story. And we're also falling emotionally. And we are never satisfied. We always think looking for something better. And we create in our emotions and our hearts and our soul other things to give our hearts and affections to. We're miserable. We're condemning ourselves, our souls and our emotions. It's the new year. Either your joy or you feel terrible about what you're doing not going to do. We are miserable and we're losing it. We have some joys with lots of sorrow. And that's who we are. Our followers is that. And Christ came to redeem that. Jesus had lived in his bodily form a perfect life. His body never touched sin. And in his soul, every thought was pure and righteous. He did both. He became human because we needed someone to do what our bodies couldn't do according to the law of obedience and do what our souls could do. According to all of our souls. And he made us alive. That's why Jesus came. And what it means to follow those who encounter Jesus Christ, like Melissa was attested to, the affections and the 
soul and the body may I live under you. And because of him indwelling in us and depositing his spirit along with our soul, he says his spirit dwells within us in human form. Can you imagine that he deposits his spirit within us? He begins to transform us. We're not what we ought to be, but we're not what we used to be. And our bodies will continue to go down. But you know what? He's fixed that problem. One day, we all get a new heaven and a new body. And our soul, it can be sanctified and grow. And one day, it won't struggle with any other affections. It will fully have him. Here's your application for that. Where do you fall out on attention? Do you lean towards thinking only about the physical? Some of you just are wiring. You only think practically in the physical. Or do you only think about the spiritual and spiritualize everything? Think about those tensions and where you are. And, and hear the, the biblical theological view that you are body and soul. And then think holistically about it. That's your application into the new year. It's a great time. God, help me to honor you in my body and in my soul. Let's pray as we come to the table. God, uh, as we come to um, this table today, we, um, we confess that we need, we need you and um, that we're thankful that you fashioned us in your image. So God, um, thank you for coming to this, for creating this table. As we it seems like such a simple truth, and we probably have what we learned today about being the duality of a human being being body and soul, that we, um, it's not only scientific, nor is it only philosophical. It's theologically true because you're the creator of the world. And I thank you for that. Help us to come as human beings to this table and be mindful of the spiritual realities that it points to. In Jesus' name, amen.